a Highline podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. I am Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. How you doing this evening? I'm good. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. It's the end of the week. Another Friday recording session. It's Friday. It is. And I am very happy that it's Friday. This is a beautiful glass I'm drinking out yeah. of. <laughs> I guess we're gonna, I'm like ready for a drink, so. Yeah, let's great. just have a drink. Came home, chugged a pot of coffee real quick. Oh, nice. And uh, I say pot of coffee. I had a cup of coffee, but I, I made a pot. It all cracked out. Mm, yeah. Nice. Wow. Oh. This is interesting. You know, it's been a long week. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I just feel exhausted, mm. like a corpse. But this uh, cocktail is definitely refreshing and reviving. Reviving you, your corpse. All right, gag's over. Um, <laughs> we are drinking a corpse reviver this evening. Uh, the corpse reviver number four, to be specific. Okay. And I don't know how many there are. I think there's like 10 different variations of it. <laughs> uh, but all I know is that it's not an old drink. It was invented in like 2019. Is that right? The Corpse Survivor. Uh, and this is just a nice little variation of it. I was feeling a little tequila this evening. So what we have in, uh, in this lovely cocktail is one ounce of Reposado tequila. Two-thirds of an ounce of Lillette Blanc, um, which is like a fortified wine. Delicious. Which is what I needed to make white Negronis, by the way. Oh. So we can do a proper white Negroni now. Nice. So this is good. Future. Uh, It's got a third an ounce of triple sec, two-thirds an ounce of lemon juice, uh, a sixth of an ounce of simple syrup, and uh, a little bit of absinthe. And the absinthe... um, you do a glass coating with. So you put just like a bar spoon inside of the glass and you kind of swirl it around. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw me tossing the glasses up. I did. I didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> if you throw the glass up while it's spinning, mm-hmm. it just basically, like a centrifuge, forces the absinthe uh-huh. around the inside of the glass and then you don't have to sit there twirling it by hand. Clever. You can just flip it And it, it looks up. neat. Yeah. I didn't even think to ask you why Fancy you were... Throwing that bar, glass. fancy bar points. Um, there's <laughs> a couple drinks that have washes. That's a good way to do it. But yeah, you mm-hmm. throw all the ingredients minus the absinthe into a glass. And what's weird is you stir this one specifically. Whereas most cocktails with citrus, you shake. Why is that? Uh, it's a texture thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this one specifically is stirred. But will, why do you normally? shake with citrus uh i think it's because it like gets frothy and kind of uh emulsifies everything a little bit better than a Mm. stir okay but i don't know why tradition yeah tradition (laughs) who's to say anyway it's actually really pretty nice yeah only has an ounce of the tequila so it's like it's a little on the sweeter side i think it'd be good with mezcal 
a little bit of mezcal in there mm-hmm. would be really good. I bet there's another variation with, with yeah, mezcal. Yeah, there probably is. One of the 10. <laughs> so the original drink was is new as well, not just the variations. Yes. I think the newest one is, is or the original is not old. Wow. Okay. Unless there's a corpse reviver that's old, that might be the case. And then, because there's a corpse reviver and there's a corpse reviver number one. Oh. And a two and a three and a four and I think up to 10. Wow. Just, I guess people liked it, and they're like, well, I, just, I guess I'll just tweak it a little bit. And hmm. So the basic principle is an alcohol, a citrus, and a fortified wine. Yes, and I think Lillette Blanc is the, staple. is the staple, Okay, which is like a real florally, delicious, aromatic white, kind of like a vermouth almost. Yeah, I really like Lillette Blanc. Is that what, is it, that's what's a little sweet? Yeah. Well, yeah. triple sec's a little sweet, too. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. So you got the right. sweet orange, the sweeter wine, a little right. bit of sugar. Right. You could probably do without sugar. Honestly, I think so. Yeah. I would go a little more tequila, mm-hmm. no sugar, mm-hmm. and just kind of make it a little stronger. But Yeah, it's we nice. Can, we always go make another one. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so I had a great week. Wrapped up a couple uh, couple projects, a um, couple fun things planned this weekend. Mm-hmm. What you up to? Um, I don't know. I had a nice week. We're supposed to get a ton of snow on Sunday, which should be nice. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to get out and play with it, with it, and in it, and all over it on nice. the next day. Gonna see a good girlfriend tomorrow. So I'm mellow, but relaxing weekend ahead. Good. I think. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Uh, next week is gonna be cold and miserable. So. Uh. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited Bridge for it gap to, when we get there. to be wintry again. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't think, knock on wood, that uh, I have to work outside at all. So. Oh, right. Yeah, for you, that's <laughs> I was a like, whole please other don't be zero degrees and make me go outside. Yeah, fair enough. I just would rather have it be like winter than mm-hmm. what it was like today, where it's kind of just like bleh outside, mm. all the snow's melting. Fair. I was outside painting. Today, yeah, painted some doors, mm-hmm. which is like fine, yeah, but pretty much wrapped up with that job. Did you see any pictures yet? I saw the pink door, yeah, it's wild. There's Looks a pink good. door, the bathroom's got all rose gold accessories, wow, rose gold faucet, rose gold lighting fixture, a lot of pink, rose gold, yeah. Who, what is this a residence? It's a Airbnb, okay. Well, that's fun for it an is Airbnb, fun. Yeah. yeah, and it's got really cool lighting and. Lots of neat textures and cool materials. Is that in town? Yeah. Right down to it's north side, so it's in that weird My end. Yeah. Well, it's on the it's right behind Mountain Walking, so it's like a little further down. A little, oh, but I love it over yeah, there. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. That little corner by the train tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's like right over there. So lots yeah. of cool houses. That project's pretty much wrapped up. Anything other exciting? We got our house blessed yesterday. This house that yeah. I'm in? Yeah. Oh wow. By the priest. Wow. Which was like cool. From the Orthodox Yeah. Show? Wow. All right. It, it was like months ago. We to- feels Caleb good and in I, here. Caleb and I totally forgot. He's like, <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, you, remember, sign up for house blessings. And he's like, you don't have to be Orthodox to have me come over. And we're like, oh heck yeah. So we like put our name on the list. And then <laughs> luckily, like the other night at church, we like looked. We're like, oh, he's going to be here at four tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> he came over and I don't know. I guess I didn't know what to expect. But it was like pretty, pretty normal. Like. As far as orthodoxy goes. What do you do? He, he just Say like, he lit some incense and prayed uh, for us, all of us. 
and then like our family and then bless the house. And then he went to each room singing prayers and hmm. holy water. I want to get my house blessed. I bet you could. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. It was very nice. It was beautiful. Totally. It's great. And then, uh, yes, we got a fresh blessed house. Mm-hmm. Feels good. Good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was really cool. Yeah, that's about it. There you go. Hopefully, all things go as planned. I'm going to help somebody build a derby car. What? Which will be cool. Not, well, a pine derby, like for Boy Scouts. Not like a full-size derby. Oh, I was like yeah, No, no. Like a little, little derby car you race. Like That's fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. What so. do they call those? Like a... Pine derby car? Pine... pine derby? Pine derby. Soapbox racing? Soapbox. But that's like derby boxing. That's like Same human thing, size. Right? Oh, what is this for? This Not is a like human? a track, and then you have to be a certain weight. They're like little miniature cars, and they race them. Do people are people in them? No, they're they're like motorized, like a little remote. No, it's just like it's like hot, it's <laughs> like a work? it's like a Hot Wheel track, like a bigger one, and it's like a little. It's like a I don't know, ten inch long car. Oh, with like nails and wheels and. How does it move? What propels it? Just gravity. You just start at the top. It's like a a, a ramp. Oh, so it's about making it aerodynamic and yeah, lightweight. Yeah, yeah, and, and then all the Boy Scouts race them, and then it's like... That's fun. If you win, you win. Hmm. I think everyone gets their merit badge. I don't know how Boy Scouts work. Uh, yeah. Never was one. <laughs> I was a Girl Scout for like five seconds, and like my mom was supposed to be like the... A part of it, some like she, what I don't know what it'd be like a troop leader or something, mm-hmm. and she didn't, and it wound up my sister wound up being like the surrogate parent for like it was everybody else's parents, and then my <laughs> sister who's like nine years old, she's like in high school, uh, and I made it so far as selling, not selling, well yeah, selling cookies. I sold cookies. Okay. I never delivered them. Oh no! <laughs> I never delivered. You know those dreams you have where it's like. You forget to you like re, you're in, it's like a nightmare and you realize like oh my god I didn't go to that class this entire semester and all of a sudden like I've got to figure out what to do like mm-hmm. do you ever have those you yeah know, it was like that but in real life where I oh, like no. literally one day like opened my closet and was like oh shit there's all those cookies I was supposed to deliver and I just like <laughs> Did you just like eat all the cookies or I think most of them like went bad I ate them but I also don't like sweets that much but, like yeah. a lot of Went to waste. Oh. And then I was like embarrassed, so I like didn't want to tell my dad that I had like accidentally stolen a ton of cookies. Oh no. <laughs> it was like people in my neighborhood. <laughs> no one said anything or like called no. you. Like, hey, hey, it's been like it's it's been nine months. <laughs> and like I really got a hankering for some thin mints. I was like seven or eight or something. I just like stopped going to meetings. <laughs> yeah. That was the extent of my Girl Scout experience. Oh, there you go. I defrauded people of cookies and then, yeah. And then took it off. Right. It's like, uh, <laughs> what was the, the weird fake music festival? Like Fry Festival. Fire. Fire. Fly, fire. Fry? Fry, maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> there was that whole scandal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they tried to fix it in the end. I just was like, I'm out of here. It's like, nope. <laughs> whoops well okay well 
<laughs> you know now, right? Hindsight, yeah. you learned. You I learned, learned your lesson. I learned a lesson. Pay attention. And really, maybe it was truly just like a dork you, out. Yeah, maybe maybe did some people good. Yeah, they didn't need yeah. those cookies. Samoas are like the highest calorie cookies. Yeah, and they're good, but they're also like bad. Right. Like you eat one, you're like, oh, I feel dirty. I never liked those. Better have another one. I like the I like the thin mints. Yeah, frozen thin mints. Mm. Yeah. Lemony or something. I don't know. I never have cash, but like whenever I see the the Girl Scout stands, I'm like, I have two options. I like can't go into that store now because I will leave with cookies. Mm-hmm. Or like whatever I do, don't get cash. I don't like the Girl Scouts politics now, so I don't feel bad not donating. <sighs> yeah, them. me neither. It's hard, but when it's like a little kid that's just like learning about talking to people and like, you know, you're <laughs> that's like, true. you're like, oh, you're like. It, you're not the politics like you're a nice little kid that's like <laughs> learning how to interact with people and like tell people about what you do and i normally just go up and like lecture them about why yeah. their politics are yeah bad. yeah that's what i would do <laughs> i'm kidding yeah. i don't do that <laughs> i swear i don't do that cat got, like, cat, yeah, yeah. Cat got her uh politics 101 badge <laughs> oh my god how horrible it would be to bully a girl scout <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't advocate for stealing cookies or bullying Girl Scouts. Yeah, coercion is not ever good. Um, no, never. And bullying is a form of coercion. That's right. And you know who doesn't like coercion? Anarchists. Anarchists. There it is. There's our transition. <laughs> I like it. That was good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, we are continuing on, uh, powering forward in our politics discussions or ideology discussion and this evening we want to dive into anarchy and uh again the same old same old as every other episode lots of stuff tied into the other ones uh i don't know exactly where we want to start this evening there's a lot of different thoughts about anarchy about where it really comes from but i think what seems the most realistic is that it really came to fruition about the same time as all of these other ideologies we're talking about kind of as a not co-opted with but like parallel with marxism and so like late 1800s is kind of what i think is like when it really was like thought about talked about people wrote about it and then moving forward actually in practice implemented yeah i'd say throughout the 19th century Mm -hmm. so like even as early as like like well i guess like mid like 1840s oops sorry it was being talked about um but anarchy was first used in english in 1539 Mm, okay and it meant an absence of government Absolutely. So, like, government a lot from of Greek. Oh, like yeah, the root the, is the root, Greek. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, like as you said, similar to all the other ideologies and sort of political philosophies that we've talked about, mm-hmm. the kind of musings of it existed loosely in different thought for like centuries, but it didn't really coalesce into mm-hmm. like a coherent ideology until about yeah the mid 19th century so that's kind of when it came into fruition and i think 
just right off the bat, similar to our conversation that we just had recently about Marxism. It started to pop up around then the way that it did because, like Marxism, there was really, I don't know if you could call it a renaissance, but like a renaissance of understanding as far as like what oppression and abuse was. Like when you were talking about like looking at the horrible working conditions, looking at the like industrialized Europe or whatever specifically Mm -hmm. and being like, something's not right with this. What's, how do we fix this? Because anarchy at its root is a means of addressing the abuse of power. Right. And they also were looking beyond like abuses within the private sector and they were also Mm -hmm. looking at abuses of government and, which I guess all these other ideologies were as well. Right. Um, but yeah, like the anarchists in America, for example, were looking at like the incredibly entrenched and strong like political machines that had complete power over major cities and right. recognized like there's too much power concentrated there. And in their mind, like that shouldn't exist. Right. Exactly. So. Really. Uh- well, I guess maybe really what we should start with then is what exactly anarchy is. Yeah. Back up a little bit. I kind of, you know, dove into a little bit of brief history there, but really I guess the question is what is anarchy and then we could dive into what that means or what it looks like practically or if it could be implemented, if it's meant to be implemented mm-hmm. as the conversation develops, but anarchy First, what is not anarchy, I think is important. Okay. And although it has been co-opted in various ways, I think I, after learning about it and seeing the people that are proponents of it, it fundamentally must be nonviolent. Hmm. There are some very famous anarchists throughout time mm-hmm. who were I know. both pacifists like Tolstoy and then others who totally advocated for violence as a means to an end. Right. And that's where you so get... So I don't know if you can say anarchism is inherently nonviolent. I think there's different strains of yeah, thought within yeah. anarchism. Maybe so then. Because you do have like the, well, again, with the rise of Marxism, you had anarcho marxists mm-hmm. and right. we know that violence is a key tenet of of uh marxism communism in general but i guess looking through the history what was really complexing to me is that you can say that you justify violence as a means for an end your anarchy end but your end is nonviolent is nonviolent and so yeah. that's why i make the argument that like Fundamentally, it has to be nonviolent. Otherwise, it's bastardized. Mm-hmm. And you kind of missed the whole idea. Well, I think, I think certainly you can make the argument that like any form of violence is coercion. Mm-hmm. So then, yes, violence fundamentally goes against the principles of anarchy. Right. And the idea that like, they reject any form of 
coercion or like forced Correct. activity. And I, and I should say there are, like you had mentioned, there are like anarcho pacifists that are completely to a T pacifists. Mm-hmm. And then there's the middle ground where I think all anarchists, well, I, ideally anar- anarchists would be uh, proponents of NAP, the non-aggression policy mm-hmm. principle. principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it varies with how people uh, perceive defense. Right. So it varies there. Yeah. So it's not, violence isn't completely off limits, but violence as a, as a tool, as a political tool specifically is no bueno. Minus the Well, they'll anarcho- use it as a political <laughs> tool to achieve a state of anarchy. And then also a question, can you have a state of anarchy? Well, state meaning like... Oh, I know. Yeah, a state of affairs, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, yeah, like exactly. a government. Yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, there are, like broadly speaking, two categories of anarchism. There's kind of... there's socialist anarchism Mm -hmm. and then there's what's known as anarcho-capitalism or like libertarian anarchism understanding uh anarchism in terms of like a political compass which i think a lot of people are familiar with political compasses you can set up your axis is a little bit different so you can have in the middle your like x or i guess your y axis would be like anarchism at the top and then as you go down, it goes to totalitarianism. And then on the left, you have anti-market. As you go right, you have pro-market. And then collectivist all the way to individualist. And so you have like anarcho-communism, which is collective, anti-market. And then on the far right, you have highly individual pro-market like anarcho-capitalism. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of spreads out that way. So there are a couple principles that both forms of anarchism share. Mm-hmm. Most principally, the rejection of state authority. Yes. Right? They are anti-hierarchy. Well, I think that's different. Okay. I think that's, to- that's a different Totally thing. different yes. than... They reject political. government. They reject, they reject any kind of like state sanctioned government authority Mm -hmm. they both advocate for self-governed societies based on voluntary uh institutions those institutions are made up of free associations this is why just briefly this is why i think anarcho-communism doesn't really exist well, we're we'll get we're gonna get into. By that, the way, trust but me. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got I have a ton of thoughts on that. But yeah, right. But I think so. I think that those those are kind of like maybe the two principal things that they share in common: the rejection of state authority, mm-hmm. the belief that society can govern itself, and the idea that that we institutions should should be formed on a voluntary like basis. Right via free association so if we want to dive into the sort of it has a couple different names anarcho-syndicalism libertarian socialism Mm -hmm. left libertarianism socialist anarchism right it's kind of they all are oxymorons almost 
Yes, I, I, I personally think. And, right. I, and maybe people who subscribe to each of those things would be able to identify differences, but they're, mm-hmm. they have, they're all the They same. have certain, both of those ideologies have certain key tenets that are at odds with each other. As, as far as being individualist versus collectivism or being, yeah. being totalitarian versus, I mean, I don't know what I would call it, anarchist right yeah um and so you know i had just explained that political compass mm-hmm. from left to right but like and anarcho communists are actually like in the lower left which is like totalitarian anti-market and they're actually in opposite they they are opposites of like anarcho-capitalists well my understanding is that the I'm going to, from here on out, just refer to it as, like, left anarchism, because yeah. it's just less of a mouthful. Fair, yeah. But my understanding is left anarchists are, they reject state authority, mm-hmm. and they recognize the problems with systems like communism, where there's centrally, there's the society and the economy is centrally planned, and there is a... Uh, power is consolidated within the state. They recognize the problem with that. Which is why in the late 1800s, a lot of communists and anarchists were butting heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, quick anecdote. Emma Goldman, who yes. is a famous anarchist from the U.S. I think she was actually a Russian immigrant, right? She was a Russian yes. immigrant. and She didn't like Lenin. <laughs> she, well, so she was an anarchist and wound up, got like, was involved in like labor strikes and anyway wound up getting deported to russia soviet russia Mm -hmm. and had her like eyes opened and recognized like oh shit communism i think she was sympathetic to communism prior to being Mm -hmm. deported to the soviet union and then she realized like this is a nightmare and this system doesn't work um right and she actually Somehow, I don't know enough about her history, but she actually like interacted with Lenin. Yeah, and, and to his face, told him off. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy. And was like story. this doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so the left anarchists recognize that communism doesn't work. They reject state authority, but they also reject. I think the key thing is they reject private property, which means they reject what they would call capitalism or just like yes. free markets caveat there okay they reject they they reject private property at least historically that was not the means of your production yes so if you created it Which, built it it's your property but they didn't like again kind of with some of these early marxists and things like that they weren't a fan of like profit made from renting they weren't a fan of profits from manufacturing right and then I don't think they were a fan of vacant land, which is like a weird thing. They were like, everyone should have access to like the same amount of land and then they can do whatever they want with it. So it was like weird. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. So. Yes. I have, I have like too many thoughts on this that yeah, yeah, I just yeah. need to like go through. So, okay. They reject capitalism. They reject political authority. They reject all forms of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a way I've heard this described as horizontal means to achieve horizontal ends. So and part of the thinking there is the idea that power corrupts and that any hierarchy that can cannot be ethically justified, if it cannot be ethically justified, then it should be dismantled. Right. And that is another thing. They're not necessarily opposed to hierarchy. They believe that hierarchy exists, but they think it should always be questioned. And it's not like that those with with power, the, the justification for people with power is not their power. They need to be able to explain and defend why they have the power that they do constantly, which is like part of the keeping it in check. But wherever they can avoid it, they will. Right. Mm-hmm. And that has interesting practical implications. Yes. So, uh, and then they reject, as we said, they reject property rights and private property. Mutualists, which is like a sect of this thinking, believe that private prop, they believe in private property so long as it is based on personal occupancy and use, which is what you were just describing, mm-hmm. which is to say, like, you know, you can own the clothes that you wear. Mm hmm but you can't own a factory sort of thing. And then they believe that the state only serves, or excuse me, serves only to maintain hierarchies. And so, and they do, the state does that. It, it, the state protects and maintains hierarchies by securing property rights. Right. Therefore, the state should be abolished and property rights are what enable abuse of hierarchies. So therefore, property rights are often bad they are were describe themselves as both individual individualist and collectivist at the same time this is a famous quote from uh mikhail bakunin mm-hmm. uh who lived uh during the 19th century and he was a russian anarchist very famous anarchist the quote is freedom without socialism is privilege and injustice socialism without freedom is slavery and brutality mm-hmm. So in their mind and their vision, there's kind of this marrying of these two ideas. Part of that is because uh, Bakunin and early anarchist thinkers perceived working for a wage as slavery. Right. Yes. So exactly. So part of their goal was to abolish the wage system. Mm hmm. Because they regarded it, they regarded working for a wage, as you just said, as slavery. So their whole movement was focused on on the labor movement. Uh, they also believed in direct action, basically action taken without the intervention of a third party, such as politicians, bureaucrats, or arbitrators, mm-hmm. or like managers. And they believed in uh, direct democracy. Now I'd like to share some of my thoughts on some of these ideas, yes, if I may. Fire away. Okay. So the idea. So this is how I listened to some, read and listened to quite a bit about this thinking leading up to this episode. Um, And the way I described, or I heard sort of the property rights argument described was as this. They think that private property is the thing that enables the inequality to exist that makes capitalism function. So they're right in saying that like capitalism or free markets can't function without private property rights that's true right Right. property rights are fundamental to that where i think they're mistaken is their idea that property rights capitalism capitalism is somehow inherently exploitive exploitative and property rights are the thing that enable you to be exploitative 
So, yes, and the way that I would perceive that is, yes, it can be, right? That is an unfortunate side effect is that it can be, but everyone else also wins. If that makes sense. So, like, mm. yes, some people can be exploitative and, and abuse capitalism, if you want to say that. But then it's not inhibiting other people from part- participating. It's, I'm sorry, repeat that. So, how do I say this concisely? Um, I, would, I would agree that, yes, an unfortunate side effect of capitalism is that property rights can be used exploitatively. Okay. Can be, but, mm-hmm. but the overarching everything available within the system allows that to be avoided. Like it can happen and then it can be addressed and then people can skirt it. Well, okay. I think that people being exploited and inequality period are things that exist outside of any oh yeah particular economic or political system right some exacerbate it more than others right but mm-hmm. the idea that property rights are inherently exploitative and bad i think completely misses the important role that property rights play in enabling and motivating productivity. As we said before, like left anarchists are okay with property rights to things that like you are immediately using. So like you can own your toothbrush or you can own your clothes, but they critique it as it's extended to things that you aren't immediately using, which is also kind of like a squishy idea, right? right. Like a factory, for example, is being put to a productive use. And how would you get your clothes and your toothbrush if it wasn't for an industry creating those things? Yeah, exactly. It just feels like really shallow thinking to me. So I'm going to circle back on the property rights thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So another claim is the idea of, of the profit motive being the culprit behind exploitative practices. Their thinking is that uh, that wealth is a finite resource that cannot be like grown, right? And that's on its that own. Early eighteen hundreds thinking, right? That has been, I think, pretty clearly disproven. Well, you'd think, though. <laughs> There's a lot of people today who like fully believe that. Yeah. I heard these this these anarchists making the claim that people accumulating wealth is inflationary. Ah. Which is actually, it occurred to me that like. It's absolutely not inflationary. Well, it kind of, it, I, it, it makes, that sh- shined a light for me on like a lot of the arguments you hear about like the housing market here in particular. Mm-hmm. That like prices are going up because wealthy people are moving here and they're able to pay more. When prices are going up because there's increased demand. Yeah, there's not enough And there's not enough supply. supply. Right. But it doesn't matter if that demand is coming from a millionaire or someone making $70,000 a year. Mm-hmm. It just, like, it's, if they can afford to buy the house, then right. there's demand for that house, right? So, but, so this idea that, like, accumulating wealth 
is inflationary, meaning accumulating wealth drives up prices somehow. Like, I think that thinking is actually more prevalent than oh, we realize. So, well, so it also I, depends too. Like, there's not necessarily anything wrong with things inflating. The problem is if your money is not worth as much, right? So, like, an inflated house price isn't bad, right? So long as your buying power with your dollar is still the same, right? That's just value increase. Yeah. The way you phrase that seemed like like buying houses, it, you know, accumulating wealth, it, you know, causes inflation, but... No, that's what these people yeah, right, think. Right, right. But it doesn't seem... Yeah. But it is not accurate. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah, they're yeah, wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. in thinking that. But... So what part of what they are ignoring is that like wealth is not finite. So the resources, resources are right. And that's why voluntary trade and property rights are so important because voluntary trade is what ensures that resources are put to their most productive use, Mm -hmm. i.e. whatever that resource is goes to the highest bidder, whoever's willing to pay the most. And in theory, like they're going because they're so willing to pay for that good they're going to put it to its their uses of higher value than somebody else's because they're they're willing to extend more to acquire it to put it to that productive mm-hmm. use. Um and property rights ensure that limited resources are actually conserved. Like that's part of what is so valuable about property rights. So for example, if I own like a river, right, mm-hmm. or a section of a river and I have water, you know, first in time rights over that water. Right. And I want to be able to sell that water to farmers nearby or to conservationists who want to leave the water in the stream. I'm motivated by the potential profit that I could make by selling that that resource, that water. I'm motivated to ensure, to conserve that resource, to ensure that there is plenty of it to sell and trade. Yes. However, counter, only if you are aware or patient because that's a long-term perspective, right? So with a long-term wow. perspective, the the profit will drive you to preserve it. Are you saying that somebody would potentially just be like suck it dry so I can get I mean sell to one person? Just, just, I mean just that's to be like fair, a really bad well, well, business just model. To be fa- well, just to be fair, especially with <laughs> the the devil's advocate, right? That's what's happening in the rainforest. You have farmers that are willing to sell off land at something like $12,000 an acre, and it gets cleared, whereas with... Hold on. They're not... But they're not... That's totally different. They're not... Their business isn't harvesting trees. Their business is farming and raising cattle, and they're clearing the land to put it to that productive use. Uh, so in that being, theory, they're not trying to conserve. They're 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 not. That doesn't fit the same model. They're not trying to conserve the trees. There's no motivation for them to conserve the trees because the trees aren't. They're not. There's there's no. Um, they're not getting any economic value out of. There's no ecosystem service there for them to make money off of that forest to have an incentive to actually conserve it. They're trying to clear that land so that they can raise cattle. And then they're conserved to like, or they're incentivized to ensure that they keep their cows alive. 
Right, right. That's right? the people clearing it, right? Because it's be, it's being sold. Whoever's owning it is selling it. And if the person that owns it decides well, to take... nobody owns it. They're kind of just... Like in Brazil, people own rainforest. Hmm. And they sell it off. And the but thing is, is like there's a there's a gap <laughs> there's a gap in 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 knowledge, right? So you have people that are impoverished, that it's hard to refuse an upfront cost per acre. But then it's being cleared. But the problem is, with more data and a long term profit incentive, you can make ten plus fold through conservation and basically using it to a productive end. So you have to have the right data collection. Isn't part of the problem there, though, that the the people who, quote unquote, own the rainforest don't actually have secure property rights to that? A lot of them are like indigenous people that have well, like just well, been on the land and they don't actually have secure property rights, unfortunately. And yeah, so which like is part of the problem too. people can just come in and right, clear which it. Which is exploitative. Totally, but that's so, not. But but if they had secure property rights, right. they wouldn't be yeah, able to have their exactly. land just taken from them and cleared. Maybe they need to make some rainforest NFTs. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like that's. I think that's actually an example for like more secure property rights would ensure that the people who value their forests, if they mm-hmm. actually have secure property rights to owning it, can protect it, right, and not have it be taken from them, right, and cleared. Right. So like, I mean, I think the water example is I mean, like we see that play out in the West. Right. Um, Playing out in Bozeman. Totally. Um, Utah is an example where there's that's a state where a lot of Western states have allowed for basically like non-use rights of of water, which has allowed. Because typically it's it's. You have to put resources in the West have to be put to like a productive use if you're going to own mm-hmm. them. Just like historically, that was literally the way the law was written to encourage people to like cultivate the land. And now, obviously, we're in a different era and conservation has a greater value in some places, especially water. Um, so a lot of states and now Utah actually just finally they're governor is going to be signing a bill that finally made it through both houses but they're going to allow basically non-use uh or leaving water in stream will be considered a beneficial use of water mm-hmm. so conservationists can now pay water rights holders to leave water in stream whereas before it wasn't considered a beneficial use and so if a water right holder actually left water in stream they could be punished by the state for not using and putting their water to a productive use so anyways that's an area where like because somebody actually has rights over that resource they're incentivized to ensure that there's plenty of that resource so they can continue to benefit from owning that resource it's the idea of like the tragedy of the commons when nobody owns something right then or i should say when everybody owns something nobody actually owns it there's no incentive to conserve it, and it we've seen time and time again it gets depleted more quickly. Right, and so, water and water in that case is a great example because right, yeah. Imagine if everyone got as much water as they wanted. <laughs> right, yeah. like there has to be some, there has to be some sort of incentive to conserve finite resources, mm-hmm. and property rights are a fantastic incentive to doing just that. 
so so again resources are finite but and wealth creation is not wealth creation is limitless right um, yes and it's not it's not the accumulation of wealth that drives inflation it's the imbalance of supply and demand that drives inflation when demand outpaces supply right so then they also have this rejection of all hierarchies and the thinking is that well we've already said this but that like hierarchies are inherently exploitative and can lead to abuse of power therefore they should be abolished and that private property is what enables those hierarchies to exist in the first place so one of the questions i have is like if true anarchism uh advocates for abolishing all hierarchies then what kind of human interaction do they expect to occur once they've accomplished their goals Right, which is a great question because, like, I understand not wanting hierarchy in the sense that, like, you have a really powerful leader that is abusing their subjects, but then there's this incongruent thinking within the ideology where they don't, they, or I should say this, they acknowledge that hierarchy is natural. They acknowledge that people are different and have different abilities. Right. And so how does that balance with hierarchy? Because there's going to, it just seems inevitable, right? Right. That's where it feels like they're kind of rejecting mm-hmm. human nature because, because yeah, to- obviously people are different. They have different skill sets. There are going to be certain situations where person A with this skill is better at doing this activity than person B. And in that s- circumstance, person A is going to have power over person B. Right. It doesn't have to be like malevolent power, but it can just be like they're the person who's going to dig the ditch because they're better at it. Right. Or mm-hmm. whatever that task is. Um, right. And and that's actually a beautiful thing because that allows people to divide their labor and specialize. And by specializing, they can each be more productive in whatever it is they do. And then they can voluntarily like trade their labor or the pro- products of their labor. Which right. makes everybody better off because now right. they have more because each person can specialize and produce more. Which I don't think, though, is necessarily, maybe I just misheard you, is not anti-anarchist. Like, even though they don't believe in hierarchy, they would encourage voluntary, the people to be able to voluntarily do what they want and to specialize and to... I think they would, but the, but them ignoring that... the. That there are inevitably hierarchies is naive. Like, what is a family unit? Are there not supposed to be hierarchies within a family right, unit? Right. Which is why what I think... What is a teacher to a student? Right. Which is why I wonder how more modern views of anarchy have adapted to address that, where it's like, no, like, anarchy or hierarchy needs to be questioned, but it's not always bad. And that's how they would justify family work church whatever it is right a teacher yeah exactly and, and their students right yeah so is it non-coercive How do you raise somebody is it non- non-coercive hierarchy but to be fair disciplining your children is coercion in quotes right right well and then so what what frustrates me is this like example that um is often used is like you know, the idea of the laborer who's a slave to their wage and the exploitative boss who owns the factory. Mm-hmm. 
and has, you know, property rights over that factory that are unjust in some way. Like, that's a voluntary arrangement. Right. And that's the thing. Like, no one, maybe not no one, in a a free uh, state, no one is keeping you there against your will. Right. Well, and so that's why when they say they reject capitalism, like, because capitalism supports property rights and hierarchies, mm-hmm. right. then, like, you know, there are, but we can have property rights to, you know, are the things that I have in my house because I like those things, but you shouldn't have a property right over that factory and I shouldn't have to work at it. Like, well, yeah, you shouldn't how have to is work the at world going <laughs> to, well, no, right, but right, it's like, exactly. how, you know, so right. I don't know. So, like, I think, so. And I can't really think of a good non-capitalistic, again, going back to key tenets, I can't think of a non-capitalistic approach to the world that isn't coercive. Right, or just, like, in incredible poverty. So I think that, like, my point is, like, some structure is needed in mm-hmm. society, some form of hierarchy is inevitable. And that structure, those hierarchies don't need to be imposed on people. They take form organically. Like a parent and their child or a teacher right. and their student or, yes. you know, a foreman and like whatever. Yeah, or a master and an apprentice or. Right. And a market system in the Austrian sense anyway is not it's not something I've said this before. It's not something to really be imposed what free markets or what capitalism is, it's it's an articulation of economic law, natural economic law. There are things, the law of supply and demand, the law of competition. These things are not like ideas that you can, that you impose. The, mm-hmm. These are things that just happen organically, naturally, without thought. Mm-hmm. They are the or, They are the laws of nature that emerge that we observe. And capitalism or free markets is just an articulation of that, of those laws, or an articulation of like inevitable human action. So, like rejecting those economic laws doesn't make them go away. I think it just like sets people up for failure. So, okay, another question I have to avoid a hierarchy. Would every laborer who now owns the means of production, which is like part of what like left anarchists advocate for, would they all have to equally pool their money to invest capital into the business to keep it going or to expand it? And I think that's the thinking. But over time, that would ultimately limit the amount of capital formation and growth. So meaning every over time, everybody would become poor, both in terms of wages earned and the quality and quantity of the goods that they that they produce and then are mm-hmm. consume. Well, and I would imagine that in a, in a case like that, from their perspective, if you were a uh, group of people, a, a group of people that voluntarily were cooperating to say collectively own mm-hmm. a factory, they would probably want to implement something like pure democracy, right? Where you're all voting to decide like, Oh, how much money are we going to put towards this? Right. So then, to me, it's like that. Just sounds like bureaucracy. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. Yeah, and yeah. That, it becomes it becomes 
way less efficient Which in that model. Which is where a more and centralized you... authority is good because, hey, it's me and two people that own this business and we have all the profits. Yeah, we're going to spend $2 million to invest in it. Whereas if you had 100 people, it'd be like, oh, well, we can't really all, we don't all have $20,000 right now. Like, You know right. what I mean? It's like sometimes the centralized decision-making can be better. I think one of the principal things is that if, when you don't have a right over your property, there's no incentive to put that property to productive use. Mm -hmm. And again, so when everybody owns it, nobody owns it. Um, and the communal ownership of a factory, for example, leads to less saving or capital mm -hmm. accumulation and then less capital investment. And so, and with, so for the reason that you just explained, like, there isn't an incentive to, there's less of an, of an incentive to reinvest in your business. Right. If it's not actually, if it's not actually your business, if it's communally owned, where do you even draw the line to? Like, can anybody take, stake a claim in it? And maybe they wouldn't go that far. Maybe they would have some property, right? But it's. See, and the way that I've been perceiving it is that you would have to. Because it's like you would have to have a group of people, you know, that want to voluntarily be a part of this, right? But then, but then, how do you, how do you organize it, right? It's confusing, right? Well, and that's where some of the pronouncements feel more like cliches mm -hmm. and less like a practical, thought-out application of how. Yes. A society would actually function. So I have an interesting thought that we can talk about at the end because mm -hmm. this is kind of like my takeaway from this whole episode or this week specifically is what I think anarchy should be. And I don't think it's possible to implement, but I think it might be one of the absolute best things to practice on an individual level. And I'll explain that. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay, so do you have more questions about kind of your outline there? Because I, I, I've got some thoughts. Pick your brain a little well, bit. Well, we haven't talked about anarcho-capitalism. Well, true. Which is basically just... I'm just going to... I'll run down real quick. Yeah. Okay. Anarcho-capitalism basically kind of stems from the Lockean tradition that human beings have... You have property over your own person and you have property over the things that you mix your labor with, the things that you create. Yes. So fundamentally, property rights matter. They also believe that, they're, that there's a single moral code that binds all people, um, and it does not need to be dictated by the state. That moral code does not. Um, where that moral code comes from, I, I don't know. I haven't seen a great explanation for that. And then the other central idea is that society can run itself without any central direction, that individuals can organize um, uh, in a decentralized way. I have great faith that people can. Totally. It doesn't start to work too well with bad actors. Well, so that's where exactly. I have some questions. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and so basically, anarcho capitalists just believe. They agree with the left anarchists that, that state authority should be abolished, but they do believe in property rights. They do believe 
in some form of hierarchies and therefore they believe less in collective market economics. more individual yeah totally yep and they believe that all of the services that are provided by the state can be provided by the private sector i guess that's like the real so okay throughout this whole conversation about the left anarchists you push back that like well they must believe in property rights to some extent or they must believe in some hierarchies because like property rights obviously have value right mm-hmm. and hierarchies obviously exist but everything I read and listened to, people adamantly said that they don't, especially the property rights issue. Which is fair. That, that's like the fundamental right. issue that which I take is, with it. Which is fair because I did listen to that one podcast. I tweeted about it, which was a joke. I listened to the whole podcast, but with the libertarian Marxist anarchist. Ah. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting and insightful and, and, you know, weird. Yeah. But kind of the same idea. It was like, oh, yeah, well, we realize that like communism, like, at least in how it's been implemented, it doesn't work. And then also they... They want communism. They just don't want to have a, a state managing it. Right. Which honestly is even like fucking crazier than just communism. Because if you don't have... If you... Like... Central... Centrally planned economies don't work because of the knowledge problem because of the lack of competition. The knowledge problem, we've explained this before, but the knowledge problem being that like knowledge is is disseminated throughout society. No one individual has enough knowledge to make efficient decisions for how to allocate resources. Right, which is a Mises thing, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it's more efficient to have allocation determined by a myriad of individual choices, right? Spread throughout society rather than centrally planned. But if you don't have property rights, So if you don't have the central planning, but then you also don't have property rights, which means like your resources, there's no incentive to conserve them and there's no incentive to put your resources because you don't own anything. How do you put anything to productive use then? Like if I have a garden, if I'm raising vegetables and I want to be able to raise enough to trade to get bread from somebody who bakes bread but i don't actually own that land that i'm growing vegetables on and anybody who comes by can like harvest from it Mm -hmm. why would i put more energy and resources into it if i don't know i'm actually going to yield anything from it well right and then if you do yield something and you trade for bread you have no right to that bread the transaction the transaction is meaningless how do i own it yeah. Right. Right. And, so and that's the, the same. And you can apply that to the factory. Mm-hmm. Why would I invest any of my time, energy resor- and resources into something if I can't guarantee that I'm going to see a return on that? Mm-hmm. You can only guarantee you're going to see a return on it if you own it. If you have some right to it. Or if you have an agreement that like. I am going to sell my labor to you, the person who owns this factory. And in return, you are going to give me a wage that I can then go and right. use to purchase. And then purchase. in that case, yeah. you made the agreement, the wage is your property. Right. Right. The labor is my property and the wage is my property. Right. So without the property rights, nothing is secure. So then I, so that's why so I say is, like. Again, enough, none of these ideas work on scale. And that's the problem. They don't work on a, I mean. I would argue it. They have worked in very small scale, 
Like what? Like a commune or something? Yeah, just like in the history of mankind has been cooperation like that, frankly. But we're talking like groups of like 20 people. Like, But as things scale up, it just doesn't work. I guess if you have a very small group of people and... Things like f- more like a family unit kind of situation. Yeah. Where like you, you, you still have hierarchy, obviously, but like you have cooperation and like a need to share resources and... I guess that's when you're all, it works on a small scale because mm-hmm. everybody's on the same quote unquote team. Right. Exactly. Right. So they all share the same incentives mm-hmm. to keep each other going. Yes. But yeah, you try to scale that beyond a cooperative. How do you, how does that ever function? Doesn't. It's like this, this thing with communism. It's like, there's tons of data out there being like, yeah, it's like it completely collapses at like a hundred people. Like after a hundred people, no go. <laughs> right right and part of that probably has to do with uh dunbar's number yeah the amount of people that you're capable of like oh of knowing, knowing. yeah <laughs> yeah that's actually probably true that's probably true well and then you think about it and it's like okay so maybe you could have some like hyper localized really small scale communities that can function in this system but I would argue that there would be there would be a cap to the wealth creation and prosperity that they could ever create. Because oh, yeah. if you don't have because you would never get the entrepreneur that takes a huge risk on an idea. Well, right. And, and has and potentially has it pay off. And when your market is the size of your group, there's no need to expand past that. There's no way to expand past it. Right. Because then you're wasting stuff or, you know, you want to raise vegetables. Why would you raise more than the people in your group need? Yeah. If I can't go and sell it right. to somebody Why else outside it? of. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Again, it just collapses. Yeah. There's a, a cap point. to it. Mm-hmm. So it would keep. So that's why I say it's almost worse in some ways than communism, because I think I think your standard of living would be even lower than it is under a centrally planned economy. There's a limit to would, growth in that. Yes. Model. In a growth sense. Again, I would say not the case at small scale because you have the freedom to work together to okay. prosper sorry not just not just quality of life but i mean like literally like your ability to create wealth mm. i think is i think you'd be even poorer in that system than you potentially would be in a centrally planned economy yeah but you might not be starving to death Right, because you might, because because there isn't, because there isn't necessarily like a government bureaucrat right. who's like trying to exterminate that group of people. Sure, right. Remove that equation. Yeah, I'm just speaking purely in like just economic terms. Right. Like, I I think you would literally like hit a cap of like how much food you could produce. But also in a system like communism or like true anarchy like this, there's no real need for wealth. Okay, I don't mean wealth like money in your bank account. I mean like. I mean, like how much diversity of food you could have. Right. Or like how much, I don't know, how you could heat your home or just, like just basic things. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, there, you wouldn't have the technological advancement that we all enjoy today. Like you couldn't, you would be limited in how much you could innovate in advance. And that would make you poorer, not just in terms of like the cash dollars you have, but like in terms of, how long you live, what medicine you have access to, how much food you can eat on a daily basis, right? how warm you can stay in the winter. Which there is a name for this when I was going through my reading, and it's like the farthest left form of anarchy, and it's called 
what was it primitive primitive anarchy well that's so that's part and, of the and that's thinking the, and that's the goal right is like we don't want advancement we don't want we want small communities yeah it gets it's weird which okay yeah so that's like a whole other argument is that like you know anarchist societies of this ilk have existed throughout time you know hunter gatherers were which is funny anarchists. and that's where that stems from they're like oh yeah this is how people lived you know in the stone age right revert back to that which i think is like only incredibly privileged people can even entertain an idea like that and romanticize it um like what that means in practical terms is everybody has a really short life. Most of your children die before they turn one. Well, and that's you one know, of the, and that's one of the big things. And, and that's like, the thing people were talking about. It was like, it's on top of that, it's ableist. Like, cause if you're not capable of, yeah, what do you do? There's no technology to help people with disabilities right. function right. with the rest of society. And like, totally everything kind of sucks. And yeah, then you die. I think it's an incredibly naive romanticized yeah. Oh, yeah. idea. And, I'm never going to get off my soapbox about private property rights because it just blows my mind that that's misunderstood. But um, so anyways, anarcho-capitalists are just. Uh, I think in some ways, well, I don't want to say more this. capitalist, less anarchist. Oh, uh, no, they're pretty. They don't want a state. I mean, they want like mm, true. They don't want a state at all uh, to, I think, the extreme degree where they don't think it's necessary to have any kind of public security forces or like health, you know, like, I don't know, no fire departments, no police departments, no military, um, no, nothing, no state funded services like that. Yes, exactly. Right. Sorry. Excuse me. No state funded services like that. So they think that they think the private sector can produce all of that. I have two questions about that. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. Hello, friends. This is Stephen and Dixie Lee with No Normal People. We are hard at work on season three of the podcast that will be coming out April of 2022. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. Do you like rocks or beans or planes? Yeah, I like beans. We People like those things. <laughs> and you might also like those things. And we would love to talk about it with you. If you like those things or have other or passions other and things. interests that you want to talk about. It and doesn't you, have to exclusively be those things. We would love to feature you <laughs> on No Normal People. And you can sign up to be on the show by emailing us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com. That's K-N-O-W, People Pod, or sign up on our show page at www.highline.network. And bonus points if you actually do want to talk about beans. I love beans. I like coffee beans. That's a good bean.
And now, back to our conversation. Okay, I think that there is a need for some social contract in that your property rights can't be secured. How do you secure property rights is my question in an anarcho-capitalist world. I think there's some need for a rule of law, limited, but a rule of law that protects rights, your fundamental yeah. rights. I mean, this is, this again, this is literally just me playing devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Isn't that present even in some current cultures where you have like a small agrarian place that's maybe say like the mountains of Pakistan. You have a community of tribes that are interacting with each other, hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a government, a central government, but like essentially that doesn't exist for them and they are making contracts between each other and the neighbors keep each other accountable and if one person breaks it, they have a sense of honor. And they can go to the community. Right. Again, at scale. But like functionally, right. that is operating like that. Yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, how do you, how do you and, scale and that? And I would say they have a sense of property. They have everything. I mean, they have their land. No, and their they house. definitely have property rights right. in that scenario. And they secure it for each other. Right. Again, so, it's uh, like an honor. I, I don't know. So, yeah. And, and this is like a genuine question because I'm totally attracted to anarcho-capitalism. Yeah, like, yeah. Big time. I think it's great. But I don't see how at scale you can secure those rights. Yeah, at scale it seems hard. And with scale comes uh, problems with bad actors, violence. Right. Invasion. Seizure. Well, that's my other question. How do you have sovereign bor- borders in an anarchist world? That's something that I've been trying to understand, and I don't know if they care about that. I don't think they do. Which I don't get. (laughs) Yeah. But if everything's voluntary, maybe it doesn't matter. Like, everyone's in a group, and, like, someone comes in that's not from there, and you're just like, okay, you're not going to be allowed to do any, like, we're not, you know. Right. Yeah, so I would, so, okay, now I'm just... It's just fun to think about. Yeah. Thinking off the top of my head, how could you, how do you at scale, how do you get everybody to be, does everybody need to be in agreement that this is how we're going to live for that to function? Within cooperating groups, yes. But if you, again, this is, again, I don't know how this works realistically at scale, but like, if you are basing yourself off of like a non-aggression principle, mm-hmm. which I think this form that we're talking about does. Yeah, values. You don't worry about what the other person's doing. It's not your place to, and unless they're trying to harm you or infringe that on you, like there's no recourse. And I think maybe maybe they're just more chill. Like, oh darn, my neighbor's communes, they painted it pink. I don't like pink. I know that's a goofy example, but, like, wouldn't that be applied to, like, all things? Like, even, like, hot topics now in politics, drugs, alcohol, abortions. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's how most libertarian libertarians... Right, which is a question I want to get to later. Okay. What the difference between, like, 
right anarchy and libertarianism is really again it'd be interesting to know like what kind of scale is actually possible so if so let's say you're living in a perfect anarcho-capitalist world and then a bad actor king jum un comes along Mm -hmm. and wants to like consolidate power for himself and he starts recruiting people sure and he builds a small army I guess is the answer is that you would then have right. to form counter that with a pr- I think your so. own. But here's here's a good counter to that. Again, saying you're in a state like this, you already have the ability to cooperate, and so you can say, "Hey, we really like the way we live, and we're fundamentally as a group against this form of violence." Yeah. So yeah, let's voluntarily no draft. Let's voluntarily counter this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think they also envision, like, in a modern sense, like, having, instead of, like, a police force, you would have multiple different private security mm-hmm. forces that compete, honestly compete with each other. To to, you know, I was thinking about it, like, in terms of, like, criminal justice reform and, yeah. like, or just even just specifically, like, police reform. Yeah. And like I, disempowering unions and yes. holding cops accountable. I don't know how to say this. I Competition don't, would I don't, do that. I don't like cops. I don't dislike cops. I just see enough bad where I'm like, something's got to change. And you got to get right. over, if you really care about it, you got to get over yourself and tackle the unions. Oh, totally. Like yeah. if you think it's this bad, get over yourself yeah. and your love of unions. Right. And just get rid of the unions. Yeah, totally. And then that's a baby step and see if that works. Yeah, totally. Instead of like, let's just get rid of them. I would say, I would say, yeah, because the idea that you don't have any security mm-hmm. force is idiotic. You have to have right. security forces. Yeah. We're seeing this unfold. And in yeah, cities I think a, a centralized police force is actually kind of lame. Like it would be nice to have people that are accountable to you. Because that competition is what mm-hmm. would keep them in check. Yeah. You have a police force that like, you know, breaks into, accidentally goes to the wrong house and shoots you. Oops, we got the wrong guy. If there were other police forces to choose from, I mean, this is like a simplistic version, but like they would stop getting business if they fucked up that badly. Yeah, 100%. Right. And they could, and they'd be able to market it well. Like, look, we do all sorts of, you know, this is what we do. This is our standards. Here's our training. Like, yeah, here's our track record. Yeah. Totally. Again, giving people choice and a voluntary like if you don't like say you live in Bozeman and you don't like the Bozeman police, it's the only option you have. Right. Like why should that be your only option? Yeah, and they would have less uh those police again, for example, are empowered by the state in a way that I don't think you would ever achieve in a private model right which shouldn't no right yeah, totally exactly like they wouldn't in the anarcho-capitalist world like no knock raids would not be a fucking thing right how could uh, they, they be well they shouldn't be right that's a well, violation and, of your property rights and like who is you know well well the- actually unless somebody's like paying to have the security forces like invest you know so again that brings me back to like 
what guarantees those basic things like freedom of speech and private property? Like, how do you, what is the social contract that ensures those things? Just a voluntary social contract. I guess the idea, I guess, I guess their argument is like, why do you need a centralized law maker to decide that? So that there's some kind of recourse because you could, if there isn't, there are plenty of people who like would violate my rights over myself if it benefited them. Right. If there wasn't so then I guess, recourse I guess for it. I'm just, because I want to understand this because it's interesting to me. Say that's the case, but we already know that lawmakers and even people like police officers and people with the privilege of state power mm-hmm. oftentimes aren't beholden to the laws that they make. Well, right. People abuse it. And that is that vertical hierarchy. So why couldn't you have a voluntary committee, which again, it sounds like bureaucracy, but if it's voluntary, and you're cooperating together and you have this understanding that like you're the specialty, you're the one upholding the law, but like you don't have power over me. Again, it doesn't work at scale. Like I can understand how this would work in a small amount of people. Mm-hmm. Cause like if there was people, if I was in a community and I respected the people and knew them, I would trust them. Right. Right. But then at scale, how does that work? Ah, <sighs> Because it requires everybody being bought in. And you can't guarantee that at scale. Right. But I think the thing with anarchy is that not everyone has to be bought in. Like, it's who wants to be bought in. Well, you have to be bought in, bought in, in the sense that, like, it just, to me, seems like there's, there's a big, vulner, like, soft underbelly of vulnerability of of like one bad actor who if they can you know convince enough people to join them to have a strong enough force to violate other people's rights then like yeah then then isn't that just the government well it told well (laughs) yeah and in theory you have a limited government that's accountable to the people and you try to keep them in check and maybe the problem is scale like we're saying it doesn't work at scale, but maybe the problem is the scale, like the federal government being beholden over 400 million people. Yeah, I mean, that model doesn't work very well either. <laughs> but I also understand, like, if you're in a country, again, I don't even think you could call it a country, like, if you're in the city-state of Bozeman and you want to go to the city-state of Billings and they have rules and regulations that don't translate to Bozeman, like how do you interact and hmm. I think it's just so foreign because it's like we're so disconnected from even understanding that. Whereas I think, like I had mentioned before, other cultures probably would be receptive to it and be like, this is just how things are going right now. What do you mean? Like my example of like maybe a mountainous community in like Pakistan. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, what's the confusion? Like, this is how we've been doing it forever. Like, this is the way our world works. We've just become with growth. I mean, and this is the story of every large country. 
Okay, so if the sovereignty issue is sort of a non-issue in the anarcho-capitalist idea, I can accept that. Okay, whatever. So there's no borders, there's no nation states. There's just <laughs> no borders, no walls. <laughs> yeah, so there's just there's just people. Yeah. Living, coming and going, trading with each other, whatever. Again, it doesn't really protect you from like a Mongol invasion. That's my point. Yeah, no, I know, exactly. And it's, then uh, like and then you have to counter that. So then you have to consolidate to some degree on your side to counter that. Mm -hmm. But I guess that can be done privately. I guess it can. We do live in a very technologically integrated world. If we can, you know, communicate and cooperate with UN forces, why couldn't you communicate and cooperate with the city state down the road? I think what, what, what is beneficial to this idea is you would have there would be consolidation of power in some ways mm -hmm. but because there's no monopoly on power and there's competition it would check that consolidation at a certain point right so like there would be a need for some kind of security force. Right. And there would be, and th through that need, there would be, you know, groups of people that come together and are a private security force that has the power to, like, stop somebody from stealing things from your house or whatever it is. But they wouldn't be the only security force. They wouldn't be the only police. Right. Right. There would be multiple. Mm -hmm. And because, as we said before, because of that competition, they would they'd be one more beholden to like the people that they're serving, because if they don't do a good job, they're not going to get business. Mm -hmm. And again, because there's competition, they couldn't. They wouldn't be able to consolidate into like one. Thing. Because it's an open market, there's always an opportunity for somebody, for another actor to come in and yeah, compete totally, with them. Totally. And this is, I mean, a great example. Again, this kind of goes into the the critiques of libertarianism, but probably anarchy as well, like Marodes. Like, I saw a tweet earlier that was like, I can't understand these people. Like, if the government didn't exist, there wouldn't be parks or sidewalks or roads. And you're like, I think that argument is just not. I just don't buy it. That I mean, that's like, and I, yeah. I mentioned this before in the podcast. Like, government contracts are so inflated, even though they have to take. And the problem too is that like they kind of they have to take like the lowest bid, which like isn't always the best option, right? Like, that that's a stupid model just right off the bat. Like sometimes it's better to pay more if it's a better service. But like looking at what I know are like fixed minimum prices for, say, like road work. Like, there are in the contracts, like, you have to pay someone a certain amount of money, inflated wages, all of these things. It would be so much cheaper to build roads privately. Like, just straight up, I am confident it would be so much cheaper to do stuff privately. Well, right. And that's the idea of, like, so you'd have a group of people living in a community 
and everyone would recognize the need for a sidewalk or a road. And it's, but no, nobody different than, would... it's no different than an HOA being like, yeah, let's hire someone to mow our grass and like clear snow. Right. Like you agreed to be a part of this HOA, which I hate HOAs, but you agreed to be a part of it. You know the terms. You know what you pay for it. That pooled money then goes to that little mini community, that little anarchist community. Right. Even though they're not anarchists because they're all actually totalitarian. (laughs) And HOAs, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where it's like if you have, again, if you have property rights, then like people who own their homes and live on a street are going to see value in having a road in, in front of their house to travel on. Yeah. So parks. they're going to be willing to invest in that. Mm-hmm. And an entrepreneur who owns himself and his, he has, you know, his capital, he'll recognize there's a need for this road and he has the skills to build that road. So he's, he's going to be willing to like invest in building that road. Because he knows that there's a market and there's a demand for it. Yeah. And how much cooler would it be instead of me driving down whatever street and be like, this road sucks and it's full of potholes. When's the government going to fix it? I could just be a road builder and pitch myself. Be like, hey, this road sucks. I can fix it. Right. And I could do it next week. And if you do a shitty job. Yeah. Because you're not the only game in town. Or like with any, someone else like, could come along with and any work build that I one. do. Look, here's my work guarantee. If I build the road wrong and it freezes and it cracks, here's my contract for two years. I'll repair stuff. Right. And maybe someone will come along and they'll offer a better contract. Or maybe you'll offer, you know, maybe you'll win the bid because you're offering a better deal than the other guy. Right. But like, but there's choice there. Yeah. I think there's value in that. And the problem with the centralized power is, well, the competition and the knowledge problem we already identified, but also like it becomes, it's sluggish. Yeah. Right. So things aren't done in an efficient manner. And then to your point, just about like government bids like that, it moves slowly and it's become so blooded, bloated with bureaucracy that it's wasteful. Yes. I've also heard some very interesting discussion about, like, especially, let's talk about defense. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is just a better example of bureaucracy in general. Mm-hmm. You have people in control of making decisions. They make huge decisions on what they're going to research, how they're going to do it, goals and some of these goals are 10 12 year goals this person might only be in their position for four six years they get replaced a new person comes in they see what the last person did they say i don't like this plan we throw it all out here's the new plan all of your r&d all of your development all that money that was pumped into it a lot of the times is just poof and then they restart with this other person's i have the power now here's my vision Right. That's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in an, the anarcho-capitalist world, you'd have a hell of a lot more prosperity and growth, obviously, than you would in the left anarchist version. Mm-hmm. But maybe a little Wild Westy. Anything goes. I don't know. Well, it'd be the same on the other end yeah. in that manner. 
Um, but I think that maybe if we didn't have this is just stream of thought. If you didn't have sovereign borders and you didn't have Yeah, if you didn't have sovereign borders, like would that just limit like would that put some sort of natural cap on how big your societies would grow? Like would your communities just because they're decentralized just be I guess they'd be kind of amorphous. Like they just wouldn't even have. Like yeah. would people coalesce around? Like would you have, would you have cities or would you just have? I feel like it would, uh, I feel like it would be Bozeman, but you would have like the North side Bozeman, which is like quirky and weird. And you'd have a group of people like did their own little thing, hmm. like districts almost. Like little mini city states, even within a city state, but it's all totally informal. Obviously, it wouldn't actually. Yeah, be but there's also I feel like there's got to be some sort of just inherent like cooperation. Like you're gonna work together if there's a crime ring, right? Like you don't if it's hurting multiple communities. Like people people are able to cooperate and work together. I just, right, I believe that. Yeah. Um, I guess so. That's what I, I guess that's what I mean. If is because you're cooperating in this like decentralized way does it limit does it put a cap on how much because there's only so many people that can that can like cooperate with each other right so does mm -hmm. that just like naturally put kind of a cap on how big like those little hubs grow like can they only get to a certain size before they're no longer like functional yeah so then there's just lots of these little hubs of communities that work voluntarily together. And obviously everybody's trading across lines and you're trading around the world. And like, mm -hmm. that's kind of separate. Right. But in terms of like the cooperation as a society, does that kind of keep a cap on how big those groups get? Because it's decentralized. I would, I would, I would say it would have to. So maybe in theory you have like small community but potentially like infinite economic growth. Yeah. That kind of sounds like a dream. That sounds cool. Like a little whiskey bench city state. <laughs> it would not be a state though. We can't call it. Oh, that. right, right. <laughs> we would uh, hate that. The independent uh, territory of whiskey bench. <laughs> the free territory of whiskey bench. Um, I mean, I don't think. Well, every, don't think everyone any... knows we're buying an island, so it's going to be an island. But that's, right, you know, yeah, it's a whole other thing. Right. Just wait for the GoFundMe. Twenty-five million dollars will buy you a six hundred acre island. It'll be fun, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's again, it's hard to perceive like actual practical implication, implementation. I mean, which is why, yeah, I don't really see it as being something that is. Uh, capable of being implemented at scale, but something that people need to implement individually into their life, which I think is possible. Okay, so explain what you think. So, as that. I've been looking into this, it's been very interesting seeing the different perspectives that people have, um, especially when it comes to like the anarcho-Christian side of it, which is valuing a lot of the tenets of anarchy in your relationship with man and God. 
being they're they're saying is like it's no man's job to rule over another man mm-hmm. and no king but Christ. That's like the main tenet. So the idea is that you only have a vertical relationship truly with God and your fellow man from a Christian perspective is an equal. And so it must always be a horizontal. Not to say there aren't church figures, father figures, but like you can have authority without abuse of power over people. Sure. But with that is like if you're not going to be abusive and you're not going to be coercive, it is not your place to push what you believe on other people with force. And that instantly means that you really cannot implement it at scale. Because there will be people that refuse it. Why can't you just let them be? Exactly. You just let them be. And so you it's not something that it, you are to implement. It's just something that you have to, I guess, practice personally. And that would be questioning power. Addressing abuse. You know, calling out totalitarian states. All these things that, that anarchy would say they're opposed to. Personally, you have to just be vocal about it. If authority is being abusive, it's your duty to not obey it, despite the consequences. Mm. And, like, another tenet of it is, like, rejecting authority and following a moral compass is to say, like, instead of, again, we've talked about this before, instead of voting for the lesser of two evils, you're much better off just voting for no evil. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting. And so, as I've been looking into it more and more, I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And the the case is pretty compelling to me that that's a pretty good way, at least from the Christian perspective, to be. Well, it sounds like you are just, if you practice that on an individual level, you're just being like a non-coercive, non-violent person who respects other people's, like, rights and boundaries uh yeah i mean that sounds pretty <laughs> that's yeah ideal. I, know. <laughs> I know exactly but i think that's i mean that that's what like the anarcho-christian perspective is but it does i mean it does go a little bit more than that it's like you have to you know you have to be willing to accept the consequences and like you're still beholden to a state you have to be because you're not trying to implement it at scale but it's and again through all the stories of the bible it's like you have these great leaders that were part of a state they acknowledged that they were part of a state paul things like that but when push came to shove they said no you want me to do something that's against what i believe you don't have the power to do that to me i'll take the consequences right and part of that is like valuing different perspectives and letting people exist even to their own detriment which i think is a key tenet of christianity which is one of the problems we see like with you know like right-wing status Christianity. Like you're going to use the state to compel people to right. live morally righteous. Right, right. Like you've missed the point. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I wonder if that's part of why like this thinking is, seems so foreign to us because mm-hmm. we are conditioned to think that we instinctively look for a solution that can be implemented. Mm-hmm. Not, not one that emerges organically right i mean even just like on the religion front you know like we don't need to legislate that people behave a certain way we should 
really ultimately live what we think is the right way to live and hope we like lead by example. Right. Right. And, and the, the, but the, that leaves it up to like chance. You're not guaranteeing that things are going to turn out the way you want them to turn out. Right. You're like, which again, the, I hoping. think the anarchy perspective is like, it's not like, again, it, it kind of goes to some sort of natural, like it's not man's job or purpose or capability of doing that. Right. Of forcing things to be yeah. a certain way. Yeah. Right. Because there's always going to be a loser. So, I don't know. And, like, with, you know, again, talking about, like, again, just, like, the anarchy perspective, it does tie in a little bit with, like, the liberalism and libertarianism in that, like, at least in this modern, the, 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 the thing that I'm just describing right now is, like, deregulating and giving people opportunity to exist individually. Right. Which I think in a lot of ways does calm down tensions. Like knowing that someone else is capable of existing. Like say, again, this is just because it's the world that I'm aware of, like Christian fundamentalism or whatever. They're like, oh, I can't believe they don't want prayer in school or, or whatever. Like you, public school shouldn't like make everyone pray but like everyone should be able to pray at school right or whatever it is right like or it like let people talk politics religion at work and school and give people the ability to do things and then also give them the choice to to voluntarily be a part of that or not right which is like where school choice comes in and things like yeah i think we kind of instinctively like want to have well, one, I think that we are conditioned to believe that, like, utopia is an option, that, like, there is this world where, like, there's no inequality, there's no differences between people, there's no, like, we could have sort of um, perfect outcomes, which isn't possible. Yeah. Yeah, because human beings are different. People Mm -hmm. have different capabilities. If you live in a free society and people have choice, people are going to make radically different choices for their lives, and it's going to lead to different outcomes. Um, That's inevitable. Um, But I think we're led, like our politicians, for example, like make promises to find solutions to things that are going to make everything equal and fair and perfect. Yeah, that is never attainable. It's never attainable, and it's not right. Yes, but we're sold that this idea is possible. Mm-hmm. And and once you're in that state of thinking, then it does make sense to 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 give power to somebody to implement that. Yeah. To use force and coercion to use the state to implement that instead of leaving it up to the chance of individual choice, because you might not get there if people, right. if it's left up to individuals, they might not make the right, quote unquote, choices to get right. you to that optimal state. In quote, optimal state. Right. right. So it justifies using coercion and force. Yes. And so let's use the example of like uh, school debt repayment. Okay. There's a huge push for that to happen. And they're like, it's unfair that people are in debt. The morally right thing to do would be to just pay off debts because of equity or whatever. 
I would say the acquisition of taxpayer money to pay for the education of the most privileged people in the country yeah. who got an education. Higher earners, too. Higher earners. Yeah. Is immoral. Totally. But giving people the right and easier ways of organizing and cooperating to individually cooperate with other citizens to voluntarily give their own money to a cause that they believe in is beautiful. Right. And so. Because one is a choice and one is coercion. If you care about this issue, work on fixing it yourself. It's unfair to force X amount of people if you want to talk about fair and unfair, right? But I also realize that we live in a system where like some of these things are difficult, like nonprofit organization, you know, all of these things that it would take to coordinate and do something as a, as a voluntary group. Like, so we need to push towards letting people, empowering people to do things that they're passionate about. Just tax them less. <laughs> I saw a, uh, a tweet from Bernie. This is a little bit off the hinge here. They're like, I can't believe that a billionaire uh, average tax rate is 3.4% and nurses are being taxed at like 30%. It's time that uh, billionaires pay their fair share. And I'm like, uh, no, they're paying plenty. Like maybe nurses would get taxed at 3.4%. Yeah, isn't what? Why is that never the solution? Right. Why, when you look at that, you're not like that person's being taxed too much? Yeah. Instead of, yeah. Um. Also, those numbers seem. I'm sure there's something. Yeah. Not accurate in his pre- presentation there, but I think what's part of part of what's challenging for people to accept with this kind of framework is that it. We mentioned this before in the liberalism episode. It requires a long term perspective. Mm-hmm. It doesn't provide for like short-term or I should say like immediate gratification or like an immediate answer to whatever the problem is right um they can't problems can't be fixed with like the stroke of a pen via you know executive order or whatever it is like the solution emerges organically through like countless individual choices and voluntary actions and that because that isn't something that can be like mapped out right or like guaranteed there isn't one individual saying like i'm gonna fix this thing Mm -hmm. by taxing you and appropriating the money to like put towards this solution that i've come up with it doesn't feel like there's an immediate answer and i think that's unnerving i think we've been conditioned to like want to have kind of like a caretaker to have somebody mm-hmm. who can swoop in and say, like, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. Instead of leaving it up and to I, and I think unpredictable the, individuals. Yes. And again, there are exceptions to this, even within anarchy, like the idea of like lawlessness and people abusing it or trying to hurt other people. I think that's addressed, honestly. Um, yeah. There's I think there's a very good argument. I for think one reason why maybe people don't like it and mm-hmm. even like getting into libertarianism a little bit is like. It requires you to not get your way. Mm, yeah. 
there will be people that believe different than you. Right. And no matter what you do, you will not ever be able to coerce them to change. And that's okay. And you have to accept that. But we live in a climate where like, no, that's what we want. We want to vote in our guy. Yeah. So we can get rid of the backwards people that we right. perceive yeah, as totally. like our enemy. Yeah. We're like, I don't really know. We've been conditioned to think that there are certain choices that are right and certain choices mm-hmm. that are wrong. And individuals who make the wrong choices shouldn't be allowed to make those choices. Right. And therefore, we need a coercive power that can prevent them from making those bad choices. That's that is the model that we live within now. And it's obviously becoming more deeply entrenched and like exaggerated the more polarized we become. Yeah. And you know the same I mean it, and sorry, just real yeah. quick. The irony of that too is that like getting people to to hate the other in society and to want a centralized authority to like regulate or control the other that is bad creates a greater need or desire for that centralized authority to be ever more powerful. Mm-hmm. So it's it directly benefits the state. Yeah. 100%. To divide people and to create a need for itself to protect them from the other thing that's bad. Right. And the and irony is it just flip-flops, right? Right. There's always an enemy. But it always grows bigger. Right, exactly. And so it it is funny to see that because like I know people that I know both sides of the spectrum they're like they're the same and we've said this before everyone is the same like whether you're the right fundamentalist Christian that's like people shouldn't be allowed to do this because it's godless yeah are like no different than like people shouldn't be able to say this because I think it's wrong right oh totally yeah like you are the same yeah same There's mentality no difference and like. Again, going back to like the anarcho-Christian perspective, like as a Christian, like it's my duty to be like, no, I, I, I'm not going to force and compel people to be godly. I want to see people be able to flourish and be happy and successful, whether I agree with them or not. I, I should desire for them to thrive. Mm-hmm. And all I can hope is that they can see what I'm doing and the results. And it will encourage them to change. Or vice versa, whatever it is. I believe in preserving the waters. And so, you know, someone that doesn't believe in that, like, let's maybe not coerce them or implement legislation that'll, you know, thwart their scheming, you know, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. It's almost like a market, like giving people freedom and like the ability to exist is kind of like the capitalist equivalent of like the free market. Expand on that. Like everyone's ideology is their good or service. And just existing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Well, and that's again where it's like capitalism is just allowing like natural law to function. Mm-hmm. But the marketplace of ideas doesn't work with coercion because people can be coerced 
like an idea can win because of coercion instead of by merit. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, well, for a time until a better idea emerges. And well, fair enough. Until people get tired of it. Until that, that's where competition is important. Right. There's competition, then people eventually realize. But that's the thing. Eventually, they will eventually realize that it's a bad idea. And there are people out there who would rather they already maybe know that it's a bad idea. So they want to be able to have the power to like not have it be an option to like spare people from having to experience whatever the bad idea is or the bad good or the bad prod you know whatever it is so it it really is i think it would be like it would require like a radical change in perspective in how we like view the world and what we're willing to um tolerate's not quite the right word but like what we're just ha- like our understanding of how we interact with each other and like mm-hmm. our time scale for problem solving, I think would have to be like radically shifted for yeah. this to ever be implemented. I think so. And this ties into something I tweeted not that long ago. I think I tweeted like weak men or weak men don't deserve power. Mm, yeah. Um, it kind of ties into the natural law thing. And I think with authority and centralized power and hierarchies, it's not just that weak men don't deserve power. It's the problem is that weak men are the only men that desire power. Well, okay, define weak. Not physically weak. Weak is in Well, yeah, but like, what do you mean? Uh weak men uh insecure, proud, scheming. What else could it be? Abusive? Well, what if it's just somebody who thinks they have the right answers and they want to solve people's problems and they don't want to like leave it up for chance? I, I would call that maybe arrogance. Okay. And that's a trait of a weak man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or thinking that you know what is right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And wanting to, and it's not just thinking you're right. I think I'm right all the time. Right. I hope you think you're right all the time. Sure. Too. Like you yeah. should be confident in what you believe. It's then wanting to force that on other people. Yeah. Well, what you, you think you know what is right for others outside yes. of, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, okay. And I think we also have to be careful to not portray this as in an anarchist world, there's no like problem solving. Like, you know, there would be, there might be an end a individual or a group of individuals who sees, you know, a problem with homelessness in their society. Right. And they can come together and privately find an answer to yes. that, whether it's like a counseling service or a shelter that provides food or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? There can be like a private charitable answer to that. A hundred percent. And I also think it, it not just, there's not a lack of problem solving. I think it could actually probably result in a lot more innovation because it would, yeah, if, sure. you're, if you are checking and questioning power constantly and you're looking at say institutional hierarchs and you're saying, Hey, why is it that like, only family members that have been ingrained in this college for years and years and years are getting to go there. That's a problem. Or, Hey, why is it like a need to know basis to get hired at this thing? Like addressing that and giving people the freedom and ability to cooperate and 
I mean, I think a lot of people would get an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise. So maybe part of what's not attractive. It kind of seems like a way to avoid gatekeeping. How so? Like, again, with, say, colleges or certain, like, obviously, I think anarchy is okay with the idea of a meritocracy. They value merit. Yeah. But, like, there are weird groups that, like, gatekeep everybody. As far as, like, institutions, like, hey, it's really only people that have been associated with this college for years and years and years. They get priority because, you know, family money or whatever. Which, I guess, whatever. No, I think that would still exist, but I think that ideally there would be, again, more competition and more alternatives to whatever Mm -hmm. that thing is that gatekeeps. Yeah. And it probably wouldn't hurt to be able to, I mean, with that, like I said, getting of yourself and realizing that you can't get your way, like, I think maybe getting more of a uh, collective understanding of, like, sometimes you lose. Like, it's okay to be left out, but, like, you can just go do your own thing. Right. I think that's one of the, like, radical shifts that would have to take place. Yeah. Um, I think another would be bearing more individual responsibility. I think that's huge. For solving problems in society. Right. And that's one Instead thing about... Instead of shifting it to the government, and- it would have to be, like, there's a fucking homeless problem in your community. You get together with your community and you figure out how to help those people and solve that problem. Mm-hmm. You don't just like vote for someone who says they're going to fix it and then never does. Right. But again, that would require like a total change in thinking. And mm-hmm. I think that I don't know if there's people who want to take on that again, responsibility. I mean, it's a personal responsibility thing, though, but like yeah. it's easier to just be ruled. Right. Right. And what's scary, too, especially with something like the COVID pandemic and our response to it. I've had a lot of conversations with people who have identified the role of government as being to protect people Mm -hmm. and to keep people safe, not to safeguard their rights only and like guarantee rule of law or whatever, but like to protect them individually. Mm -hmm. That is a completely, that mentality is, not conducive to what we're describing right now. That's somebody who wants to have a force that protects them and solves their problems. Oh, yeah. So I worry that, like, we're increasingly as a society and a culture moving in that direction. Like, we're moving farther away from anarchism being possible. Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, we're kind of going like, what would it be, down to the left, collective, totalitarian, anti-market? Mm-hmm. At least the trajectory is. Yeah. But we got the truckers doing their part to yeah, yeah, buck those, authoritarianism. <laughs> those pesky fascist Nazis. Oh, my God. That's a whole other thing. Right. Fascists and the Nazis were authoritarians. <laughs> right, yeah. Hong Kong, baby. Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, so do you think it's, so I guess we're saying we think it's possible, we think left anarchism 
is fatally flawed because of the rejection of property rights, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yes. It means that res- resources aren't put to productive use and there's a limit on how um, productive and therefore prosperous society can grow. Yes. I think anarcho-capitalism is intriguing. I think it could happen. I think it could work. Not even limited to a small scale. I think I think it could work. Which I interestingly, when I went into this conversation, I didn't think it could work. So oh, okay. I actually think it. I, I think it could work. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we could. We will ever be. In at least in the United States, I don't think we'll ever be in a place where we could transition to that. It's just too many people. That's kind of there's the thing. too many people, and there's too many. I think it's that there's too many people who are dependent on the state in some form. Mm-hmm. That like the transition to private actors providing those goods, I think it would just be too messy. And if it's anything, I mean, again, if we're looking at like what's going on in Canada, the precedent has been set that like if you are dissenting, even in a remotely reasonable way, like you could just become enemies of the state. Yeah. Well, and we're because all... Because of centralized power. And we're already so uh, compromised by the mm-hmm. state that we're totally vulnerable to them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can be shut down Which is the pretty easily thing. now. So if, if you had a serious movement of people that were like, hey, let's nonviolently, like, look at a way to get rid of the control of the state over us. Yeah. Be like, oh my gosh, facet, fascist insurrectionists and be like no we just don't want you to have a monopoly on violence over our lives right right you'd have to get all of the but private- it's not it's but like again it's like not revolution like we're not we're not gonna like violently overthrow you it's like we're trying to do this like legit i think <laughs> i think you'd have to get like all of the private institutions mm-hmm. on your side so that you couldn't just have like the government say like, hey, banks, freeze all of their accounts, right? right. Like you'd have to just get like all the private institutions on board. Mm-hmm. And then I think you would just start just you would just like go about your life. But like, I guess just not not pay your taxes and just like just like stop participating with the government and like have private alternatives to public services emerge. Mm-hmm. Until the government's like competed out of business. But that requires everybody being on board. Yeah. And you'll never get everybody on I know. board. Oh, it's so romantic. So it'll isn't never it? happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so Murray Rothbard, who's again, anarcho capitalism existed in loose strands before him, but he kind of like articulated it and coined the term anarcho capitalism. He pointed out that like he kind of ridiculed the idea of a limited government and said that it's not possible. It's not sustainable. Even if you ever achieve it, it's not sustainable because the government is the incentive of the government is to grow larger. Yeah. So like it, so it will always grow larger. So to him, like a limited government wasn't even possible. And that's like, as a libertarian, that's like, my goal is to get us to a place where we have, you know, the government is ever smaller, right? Yeah. Or has a smaller footprint on our lives. 
Um, but you're kind of working against this force that is pushing in the other direction. And like, how do you, it's like a tidal wave and you can maybe hold it back, but it's always going to be like inching you farther and farther backwards, not forward, right. you know? So I don't want to be helpless, but I just, <laughs> I don't see how we have, you know, but maybe that's where it's like grassroots effort. You're what you're saying, living in your own life. Spread it to your friends and your family. Maybe your community starts to live this way, you know, and maybe it grows organically from there. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like these market interactions we've been talking about. I think it would it would it would vibe in Bozeman. You think there's a bunch of like? No, nah, they're all commies. Dumb fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did you see who was on our ballot this last? go around no who was it i don't know there was just like a bunch of like oh, oh yeah young yeah, yeah progressives caleb were, and i were going through reading some yeah. of their stuff and we're like wow like these people exist ridiculous <laughs> cliches and talking about rent control and it's like well, jesus <laughs> look you know i don't know i'm not encouraged but mm-hmm. that's not a great way to end this conversation so we should end it on a positive note yeah you, you've yeah, got something yeah. positive oh do i have something positive to say uh yeah, don't one at all costs avoid resenting people and having a desire to gain control over them, and don't cheer on when that happens to your enemy. I think those are two important things to avoid. Just in general, well being. Accept people for who they are and accept their differences yes even if you don't like who they are yep i will accept the progressives in our city that i think are wrong yeah that's my first step. we're not going to try to do anything <laughs> to compel them otherwise or to coerce no. them or wish state violence against them no which is like what seems to be the case like yeah in general it's like oh these you know hopefully the state take care of it we want to elect Trump so he can, like, you know, nail all the liberals. Or we want to elect Biden so yeah, he yeah. can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, neither. We just want to respect people's individual choices and mm-hmm. let them be themselves. And hopefully through non-coercive means, bring them around to your thinking. Uh, yeah, I agree. Don't be meanies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's cheers to anarchism. Yes. It's a beautiful thought. It is. Maybe we'll get there one day. Yeah. That's probably what heaven is. is yeah. Uh, anarchy. Yeah, maybe. Everyone's equal horizontally, and it's the only authority is God. So, yeah. Cheers to anarchy. <laughs> cheers. Welcome to No Normal People, 
This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.